You're listening to Sportsnet Today with Logan Gordon on Sportsnet 960 The Fan. Huberto slides ahead and now slides the puck to his captain. Backer lays it right wing side to Anderson who jumps up. Anderson circles the net, tries to wrap around, can't get the shot up, now scores! Rasmus Anderson ends the game in overtime! And somebody better pick up that puck. It's a keepsake for the captain, Michael Backlund, with his 500th NHL point as the Flames complete another comeback. They stretch their point streak to four by battling back to beat the Kraken 4-3 in overtime. This recent version of the Calgary Flames just won't quit. Another comeback, forcing overtime. And unlike Saturday afternoon at the Scotiabank Saddledome, no need to worry about a shootout. As you heard from Derek Wills, Rasmus Anderson finished this one on three-on-three overtime. And the Flames started off their four-game road trip with a victory in Seattle. Welcome in to the Doug Lacey's Basement Systems downtown studios. It's Logan Gordon along with you. For our friends at Doug Lacey's Basement Systems, Cracked Foundation, Boeing Foundation Walls, they have a simple permanent solution to stabilize your foundation. Contact Basement Systems, they're all things basement-y. Visit dlbasementsystems.com. It's the Flames kicking off that important four-game road trip this week with a big win last night. A couple of milestones, as you heard from Derek there as well, point number 500 in the career of Captain Michael Backlund. Jonathan Huberto has a goal and an assist for the Flames, who extended their point streak to four games. Dan Fladar made 28 saves in the victory. And the vibes are good right now for the Calgary Flames. We'll hear from the captain, Michael Backlund, following the win last night, including head coach Ryan Huska. His thoughts on a big win for his team to kick off this four-game road trip. We'll also talk more Flames with our pal Julian McKenzie. G-Max going to join us in hour two. Talking about the vibes around this team. Are we seeing a turning point? What's been the the key for this group? This is not the same group right now that would have let a six-game losing streak get in their way. They are facing adversity head-on. And it's led to some really good results of late. We'll get J-Mac's thoughts on the Flames coming up a little bit later. Plus, later on this hour, David Amber, Hockey Night in Canada, Sportsnet, NHL host, going to join us, take a trip around the NHL and look at some of the biggest storylines on a night where there is no hockey. Zero games in the NHL tonight uh, as we get set for a busy show. Quick reminder, fan feedback line always open to you here on Sportsnet today. If you're listening live, choose a text. At 960-960, anything you want to talk about, you want to dive in to these Calgary Flames and how they've been playing better of late, feel free. Shoot us a text. We'll get to the text line coming up in a few moments. Outstanding producers on this Tuesday are Cam and Taylor. But what a game it was last night in Seattle. 
Hopefully you had your cup of coffee ready to go. If you're Cam, you probably downed three or four Red Bulls to stay up for that one. But we got it done. An 8 p.m. start out on the West Coast. A little bit of extra hockey as the Flames battle back in the third period. Andrew Mangiapane. Doesn't it just feel right? Number 88 going to the front of the net, finding a way to get a greasy goal for the Calgary Flames with just minutes left in the third period. They send this to overtime where I'm, I'm guessing a lot of Flames fans probably cringed a bit at the idea of going to extra time. Saturday, another perfect example. The Flames play really well on three-on-three overtime, but they can't get anything done. They go to the shootout. And we know you either love or hate the shootout. And lately, it's probably been a lot more hate for Flames fans as the Flames haven't been able to really pick up too many of the extra points in the shootout. But they don't have to worry about that Monday night in Seattle. Rasmus Anderson, great wraparound attempt, sticks with it. He's able to beat Joey Decord and the Calgary Flames come away with a big victory. Talked a lot on Monday's show about how important this road trip is for the Calgary Flames. This is a tough one. It's a tough stretch. Uh, Justin Bourne uh, from Real Kipper and Bourne on our sister station, Sportsnet 590, the fan. You also hear him here occasionally weekdays uh, on Sportsnet 960. He brought out a list of all of the opponents coming up for the Calgary Flames over their next 15 or 16 games. And there are just so few bottom tier teams. Like there's not... Uh, the group of San Jose's or Philadelphia Flyers. Here's the list, actually. 14 teams to go now. Um, and here's the list. Obviously, Nashville's coming up this week. This goes all the way until just before Christmas for the Flames. It's Dallas, Colorado, Vegas, Vancouver, Minnesota, Carolina, New Jersey, uh, again Colorado, again Vegas. Minnesota, Tampa Bay, Florida, Anaheim, and L.A. Like, we are going to know about this Calgary Flames team one way or another. You're either the group that somehow, you know, contends with these teams despite what the narratives have been around the group to start the season. Or if you're Craig Connor, you find out that your team's really not built to contend with the top of this league and you go ahead with what a lot of people have assumed is going to happen and that's that the UFAs will move on and this team will go with a bit of a facelift with younger players. So it's going to be really interesting. But for now, you have to give a ton of credit to this team. I mentioned it last night on Twitter. You can follow me there at Fan960Logan if you'd like. I don't know what's changed. I don't know if it was Michael Backlund talking to this team. I don't know if it was all the outside noise that has solidified this group. But this just feels like a different team than the one we saw three or four weeks ago. And maybe it's the kids. I had a couple of people, you know, reply to my tweets. It's the kids. That's what it is. They're looking for answers. Why is this team fighting back so hard? Why is this team showing so much more resilience? It's because of the youngsters and, if that's the answer to it, I wouldn't be surprised. But man, it's just where was the, where was this fight during that six game losing streak? And yes, does it always mean that they win like it did on Saturday? No, but I sure as hell would rather see this team 
work their ass off and come back in games, even if it means losing in the end, then rolling over when the game gets to 3-1 or 2-0 or whatever. It's a very positive sign for this team to have that sort of fight back. I think it means the messaging from Ryan Husk is getting through. I think they're playing for each other. And that even that sentence sounds weird to say because all we've talked about and all we will talk about for probably the majority of this season is, okay, when or if does player XYZ get traded? And it seems weird to talk about a group solidifying itself because just recently Nikita Zadorov requested a trade. We heard what, you know, Nazem Kadri had to say about the future direction of this team and where he fits in. And we've talked about Hanif and we've talked about Lindholm. Feels like a very odd thing to say that that somehow brought this group together, but it sure feels like a group that's feeling better about themselves Feels like they understand what's going to make them successful. We just heard Blake Coleman on Saturday talk about, I believe it was Wes Gilbertson from Post Media, who joins Pat Steinberg on Flamestock as a regular guest, who said to Blake, you realize you're the top scoring you know, goal scorer for this team right now? And he was kind of taken aback by it, but went to point out that, well, it kind of makes sense. That's kind of the team that we are. We're not a group that's got a high-end score. We don't have that 100-point first line so we're going to need to do it by committee and recently it sure feels like this group has been able to excel with that by committee approach it's been really really encouraging to see again in the big picture does it change anything is it enough to get them out of a a really bad start to this season I have no idea does it change the the status of any of those UFAs that I lifted, listed off out of the trade deadline I don't know. It's still going to need to continue, I think, over the next three or four weeks in this kind of direction for the Flames before I'm going to make that sort of a definitive statement. But I will say, if this is the kind of effort, if this is the kind of mentality that this group wants to bring on a night-to-night basis, I'm all for it. If your identity is going to be, we're going to be a team that scores up and down the lineup, that gets contributions from lines one to four, and you know we're not going to go away for 60 minutes, I'm okay with that. I really am. I would much rather that mentality and that sort of team identity than the sort of lost group that appeared before us in the first month and a bit this season. Again, not trying to get too far ahead of ourselves. It's a good point streak for the team. 3-0-1 in their last four. And we've started to see some encouraging signs from this group. Let's take you back to last night following the win in Seattle. Let's hear from the head coach, Ryan Huska, his team playing some of their best hockey of the season. Here's uh, the head coach and his thoughts following a big OT win against the Kraken. Ryan, maybe just to start with kind of the emotions of this game and um, you know how you can describe sort of the ebbs and flows to it. There was ebbs and flows, that's for sure. Good first period, awful second period, great third period, and it was nice to get a win in overtime. How did you, uh, what did you see as the biggest shift from that second to third? Um, I don't know, I don't know. I think they just dug in a little bit. Like, they, you often know when they're not happy in between periods. Um, and as a coach, you walk by sometimes and you can hear some of the guys talking and that's a positive thing for us that we had certain guys that were saying the right thing so um, 
game. It was nice to see the response for sure. How about um, you know to obviously see a couple of chances early from Rasmus, but uh, mm-hmm. you know the way that he kind of stuck with that one and, yeah. and buried a big one for you. Yeah. Well, we talked last time in Calgary. We don't want to go to a shootout, so it was nice, <laughs> nice to be able to get that win. All kidding aside, I, I think the one shift in overtime where it was Kadri and Pospisil, and I'm not sure who the defenseman was, but we got hemmed in for a while. They did a good job of keeping things to the outside for the most part, and then Marty kept the puck and allowed us to change. So those little things often are the difference. Talk about those uh, three gentlemen on team that didn't see a lot of ice in the third period, just short the bench, and they were the ones not going as yeah, well? Yeah, that's pretty much it for sure. You guys have had some success in this building both this season and, and previous seasons. Why do you think that is? I don't know. I, I really don't. It's Sometimes it works that way. Some teams have success against other teams, and then they can't find a way to beat a different team. It just it's Sometimes it just works that way. Did, did it feel fitting to see Andrew Mangiapane, you know, Pot, 100th career goal, kind of right where he did. Yeah, and uh, that's where he scores his goals, where he should be scoring his goals in there. Um, so great for him, great for Michael. Like those are two pretty good milestone nights for for important players on our team. I know this probably feels like a lifetime ago in a game that goes to OT, but that opening shift, Michael's line goes out there and kind of sets the table with that first shift. You get the goal right after. What does that do for your team to start that way? Um, importance, again, like we put a lot of importance on good starts, first periods, and trying to win your first periods. And um, we've talked a lot about Michael and Blake over the last little while, so they, they were ready to play. And usually when your key guys are, the team usually follows suit. We just slipped in the second period but found a way to get it back. How close did you consider uh, challenging the goalie interference in the second, potential second? Yeah, I trust the guys in the room. So if that screen uh, flashes a certain color, then I I go with what they say most times. I mean, I can look at it and get emotional about it. And um, they're a little bit more calm, cool, and collected and actually dig into whether or not that is something that should be challenged or not. How important is it to finally get an overtime win? Um, even a win. I, I think more important the response after a terrible period. Um, it could have been easy for the guys just to kind of roll over and move on to Nashville, but I, I love the response in the third period. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Thank you, guys. Head coach Ryan Huska in Seattle Monday night following an OT win for his team against the Seattle Kraken. You heard the question there. A couple of Flames players didn't see much ice time in the third period. A.J. Greer, Connor Zary, and uh, Walker Dewar. Uh, all of them stapled a bit to the bench in the third. Zary finishes with 11 minutes, 7 seconds of ice time, 6.30 for Walker Dewar, and 8.34 for A.J. Greer. Uh, the Walker Dewar one's been surprising. I was expecting him to be a lot better on Monday against Seattle, coming off of being a healthy scratch the last couple of games. Gets to fill in for Adam Ruzichka, who's sort of fallen off the last couple of games. And I don't know, just didn't see that consistent drive that we're used to seeing at a number 71. I'll be very curious if he maintains his spot in the lineup heading into Nashville. And again, what kind of effort we see from them. We've got, talking about a team that's got a couple of options right now. And if you're not going, I mean, 6.30 of ice time is, is not good enough for for Walker Dewar or anybody on this Flames team that wants to contribute lines one through four. We'll have to wait and see uh, as we get closer to game time on Wednesday what uh, the fate of someone like Walker Dewar is going to be in his spot. In the lot of the Zary one, I'm not I'm not worried about. Uh, someone on the text line said, Connor Zary didn't play much in the third, so it, it's not all about the kids. 
that's Connor Zary's first like not major noticeable performance since he's coming to the NHL. It's going to happen. It, it, it's the head coach shortened the bench to the guys that were going, got the result he needed for like the first time since Connor Zary's come up uh, to the NHL level. He just wasn't as good as, as some of his line mates were. And that's, a kid playing his first stretch of hockey at the National Hockey League level. He's been tremendous. He's been a big reason, I think, as part of that line with Nazem Kadri and Martin Pospisil as to why the Flames have turned it around the last couple of weeks. So, yeah, one game I'm not going to hold it against Connor Zary because he uh, found some bench time later on in this game. There's been plenty of other guys that have been in a similar position and uh, don't nearly have the lack of NHL experience that Connor has. So I have no worries. I have no doubts that he'll be back into it when it comes to uh, the game in Nashville. I uh, did want to give a big shout out to Jonathan Huberto power play goal in the first period last night, his fourth of the season, just over 20 minutes and 23 seconds of time on ice for Huberto extending his point streak. He also had an assist on the game tying goal for, um, or no, when did his assist come? Excuse me, on the uh, OT winner from Rasmus Anderson. Uh, he put up an assist on that one. Uh, three hits in the game, including that one big one behind the Seattle net. Uh, the power play still didn't look great, but good to get one on the board for sure. And look, the roller coaster of Jonathan Huberto continues. A very good start to the season. We know he went back to that zero dark, uh, invisible Jonathan Huberto that we don't like to see for a couple of weeks, and he took some heat for it. Um, but here he is bouncing back. He's used that Vancouver game as a springboard and looks to be fitting in really nicely with Michael Backlund and, and Blake Coleman. So I just wanted to quickly say, you know, good on him continuing that uh, that point streak and good to see him contributing. I know Flames fans want to see more of that. We'll see how it continues on some uh, tougher opponents down uh, on this road trip that continues in Nashville tomorrow. Uh, let's hear from uh, the, the hero last night, Rasmus Anderson. Huge game for him. 24-40 of ice time. Just behind Mackenzie Weger as far as Flames defenseman uh, in total time on ice. Weger beats him up by three seconds, the two of them playing over 24 minutes. Rasmus with a goal, two assists, three points on the night, six shots on goal. Uh, and looking a lot like that Rasmus Anderson. We know in Calgary to be that number one defenseman, obviously the game winner against the Seattle Kraken. Let's hear from Rasmus Anderson following the game in Seattle. Well, maybe just uh, take me through sort of the evolution of this game and how you guys found a way to uh, get back in here in the third period. Yeah, good first, terrible second, battled back in the third and managed to win in overtime. <laughs> you know, but uh, our second period wasn't good enough today. Um, sloppy, uh, you know, they were all over us and... Uh, but, you know, we were down one goal on the road in the third and, you know, we were just sticking with it and uh, we found a way to, um, to you know, bring it to overtime and then, uh, you know, as overtime is, it's, uh, you almost got to give one up to get one. So um, yeah, it was nice to see us win in overtime. It's, it's been a little while, I feel like. What was that motion towards the bench? Just, yeah, this is easy. No, I, I told I told Tanny before that I was going to end it, so I kind of felt like I had to. So, uh, <laughs> no, all jokes aside, but I, I don't know, it's... 
when you're scoring overtime winner, you don't, you're, you're not really thinking about the celebration. It just, it just comes to you. So, uh, but you know, a lot of the, a lot of emotions today, and um, you know, it's a big divisional, uh, you know, matchup. So, uh, a lot of emotions, and um, it's a good start to our road trip. Can you talk about the goals? Uh, you talk about the goal, like you almost stuffed it in on the wraparound. Yeah, uh, yeah, I, I haven't seen it, but um, it felt like I had him on the wraparound. Yeah. He was, I felt it was very far out, and. Went for the wraparound and he kind of just bounced back at me and I saw him scrambling and just kind of threw it at the net and uh, he went in. So it was nice to see that one go in and, uh, you know, get a bounce our way. Did you tell Tanny that uh, you were going to score it after the first chance you had in OT or was that right before OT started? Yeah, uh, no, after the first shift. I told him right before I jumped on my second shift that, you know, it's time to end it. And uh, so uh, it worked today. <laughs> it's got to be a relief for you guys. Yeah. Just, the record is very obvious. Yeah, no, it is. That, that's why it's like, you know, when you finally get one overtime, it's just lot of emotions because you know we know how much we've started in overtime before and uh, so it's really nice to see, to win one and see that one going how about andrew getting that goal uh, you know kind of right where he's made his uh, his living there right in the blue paint and yeah up. super happy for you know manch my my longtime friend uh, <laughs> uh super happy for him he uh, he deserves it and uh, you know backs 500 points as well so uh it's uh, two really cool milestones and super happy for both of them you guys have never lost in this building why do you think we that haven't is? No. I didn't even know that. Uh, <laughs> I couldn't answer that. I feel like, I feel Seattle is a really good team. They're, you know, the that's especially that second period, they're just all over you. You don't even have half a second to make a play. And um, But, you know, I, I feel like we're just sticking with it. And, um, you know, I can only speak about today. And, you know, we're sticking with it. And we find a way to win, even after a really, really bad second period. In light of your overtime prediction, do you have any predictions for Wednesday? Uh, no, let's just get a win. <laughs> Rasmus Anderson following the win in Seattle. His third of the season is the OT winner for the Calgary Flames, uh, as you heard at the end there. Hoping for big things in Nashville as this road trip continues Wednesday night against the Predators. No NHL games on the Tuesday schedule. Uh, if you want a quick breakdown of why that is, Jeff Merrick, uh, our pal from the Merrick Show, broke it down on Twitter a little bit earlier. Uh, I guess U.S. teams uh, at this time of the year with American Thanksgiving and Black Friday coming up uh, request to have more home games during this time of the season. So uh, a lot of Canadian teams are already down south, and there was only a couple of buildings uh, even available to host games tonight. He lists Calgary, Vancouver, and Arizona as the only uh, venues that could have hosted hockey. Uh, Arizona didn't want a back-to-back for home games, and four teams off in Sweden right now for the Global Series. Just uh, It sounds like a bunch of extenuating factors led to a a rare zero games on a Tuesday night. So uh, if you've got other things to do, you want to get a head start on your Christmas shopping or get the lights up, maybe tonight's going to be a good night. No NHL hockey on this Tuesday, back in action with a full slate of games on Wednesday, including the Flames and the Nashville Predators. We'll take a break. We'll come back on the other side, take a spin around the NHL with our pal David Amber, Hockey Night in Canada host, will join us. Some big news to talk about uh, with a couple of teams. The Oilers suffer a tough loss. The Vancouver Canucks stay red hot. And what's going on with the Columbus Blue Jackets? Uh, Patrick Line says he's uh, embarrassed after a healthy scratch uh, from head coach Pascal Vincent. So lots to dive into around the NHL. We'll do that next with David Amber here on Sportsnet 960, the fan. Well, just because there isn't any NHL action on this Tuesday night doesn't mean there aren't topics to get to across the league. 
And whenever we want to go across the NHL and talk about some of those topics, no one better than going down the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar, guest hall, and welcoming in our next guest. Taking away one of his days off. No hockey on a Tuesday, but we're still going to make him work. David Amber joins us from Sportsnet Hockey Night in Canada, studio host. David, thanks for doing this as always, man. How are you? Logan, my pleasure. It's pouring rain here in Toronto, so uh, just trying to survive that and driving around, and um, nice to talk to you on the radio. Always good to have you, man. Appreciate it. It's in a rare off day for you during the week. Uh, I know Jeff uh, spelled it out for us on Twitter, but uh, the rare Tuesday with no games this week. Yeah, it feels a little weird, but listen, we're going to get fed a pretty good um, feast of games both on Wednesday and Friday. There's no games Thursday either. Um, you know, the NHL doesn't want to compete against the NFL on American Thanksgiving, and, and I understand that. And um, kind of clears the slate and sets up for a really big uh, slate of games on the weekend. So it's feast or famine, uh, I guess, this week in the NHL. But no, as you said, no shortage of storylines. Lots to dig into. Absolutely, and let's uh, let's start out east, uh, I guess even further east than uh, normally we would, but uh, the Global Series right now, a big story obviously for the Toronto Maple Leafs, and uh, William Nylander was always going to be a focal point of this, uh, of this Global Series, David, but his performance this year and the fact that it's a contract year for him, bring it all together, and he has to be the talk of the town when it comes to the Toronto Maple Leafs and what he's been able to accomplish this season. Yeah, it's been, uh, I think what William Nylander has done through, what is it, 17 games has exceeded everyone's expectations. A point in every game, I think he has six or five or six multiple point games. He was absolutely electric in Sweden. You know, and on a team with, uh, you know, a guy who's won a rocket and an MVP and, you know, all the rest in, in uh, Austin Matthews and one of the, you know, best playmakers in the league and Mitch Marner, you know, on a team with those two guys, he's definitively been the best player on this Maple Leafs team since the start of the season. So uh, it's been a big surprise for him, or not for him, but it's been a big surprise to sort of see him on a night-in, night-out basis perform at the level he's competed at. And then at the same time, him going back to Sweden, his, his home country, and doing it in that fashion and really being sort of the star of the, of the global series, at least from a Leafs perspective, was pretty cool to see on, on a personal level for himself. What's the the chatter in Toronto right now, David, when it comes to the future of William Nylander? Because at 27 points in 17 games, uh, anybody with an upcoming contract is, of course, going to be a focal point. But especially on a Toronto team where they're already spending so much money, and we've talked about it you know, a ton with Austin Matthews and John Tavares, it feels like William Nylander's always kind of been pegged as the, the guy that was going to be on the outside looking in, but... Is this season sort of stopped and made everybody wonder if that's actually the case going forward? Yeah, I think that's a great point. And you know what else is funny, Logan? It seems like it's sort of the byproduct of being in a Canadian market, right? Like two years ago in Calgary, it was all, what's going to happen with Goodrow? What's going to happen with Kachuk? What are we, how are we going to manage this? You know, what are we going to do? You know, in Winnipeg in this offseason, Hellebuck and Shifley, you know, oh my God, you know, the sky's falling. They, the start of the year was all about Pedersen and his impending RFA. And, and then here in Toronto, it's just been a cycle of sort of who, whoever's coming up at that time. And this time it's William Nylander. So it's funny. I'm sure it plays out a little bit in the U.S. markets, but not to this degree. The, the, I wouldn't say the doom and gloom, but just the whole, oh, my God, what are we going to do? Um, so it's funny. That, that storyline certainly is playing out. And 
there's two trains of thought. People are like, oh, this is great. William Nylander's doing amazing. And then there's the, the you know, the, the doom and gloom group are going, oh, my God, it's going to cost the Leafs too much money. They're not going to be able to sign them. Uh, I think the Leafs can sign them. I think the bigger question, Logan, is what kind of composition of your team do you want? Do you want to have four forwards making, you know, basically $11 million plus? Because that's what you'll be staring down. And one of those four will be Austin Matthews next year making 13.25. At this point, the highest player in the NHL next year. Can you have a team with $45 million essentially tied up to four forwards? What does that leave for your goalie and defense? There's ways to do it. If Brad Trey Living wants to do it, he can do it. Um, you know, Domi comes off the books. Bertuzzi comes off the books. Samsonov comes off the books. Uh, Klimberg comes off the books. You could do it. The dollars go out, and you can put them all into William Nylander's pocket, mm-hmm. uh, and you're going to be left. You know, you're going to be left with a pretty thin blue line and, and some you know prayers in, in net. So <laughs> it's really going to come down to what they want to do. But I, I think your original question is. Nylander was always considered, oh, move Nylander, move Nylander, move Nylander, or let him go. And now it's like, hmm, what are the other options here? Because if you want to win a cup, a guy like Nylander is pretty good to have around. He's going to probably be a 100-point guy this year. He could be a 50-goal season guy this year. And at times, he's taken over games. So it it is an interesting dilemma or or conversation. You just have to remember, Tavares still has uh, another year on his deal. Um, and and uh, and uh, no movement, and Mitch Marner, his no-trade kicked in last July, uh, so you'd have to kind of get him to agree to whatever you're going to do with him, conceivably, yeah. and Matthews just signed a four-year extension. So, yeah, there's, it's a really interesting question mark. One thing I'll say is, and I don't even need to tell your listeners this, I don't think we're going to have a Johnny Gaudreau situation happening here. I don't think they're just going to let this – fester and pray and hope on July 1st that Nylander decides to come back. I think either the, the idea, you know, things will be set in stone for Nylander to come back or they're going to really see what the trade market presents itself, um, whether it's with Nylander or with someone else to, to make Nylander affordable. So I just, I think Brad Trey Living is, is aware of the, the stakes and how high they are and, and certainly the opportunity cost if you sort of, put your faith in this guy resigning and it doesn't happen. You don't want to lose a guy of that caliber for nothing. Yeah. It certainly feels like uh, that's a situation that he's probably learned from here in Calgary. And uh, we'll take that experience into how it handles out with, with William Nylander going forward in Toronto. Uh, I did want to get a little bit closer to home here in Calgary and ask you about a couple of storylines that uh, have happened out West here. I guess what's more surprising for you. And we'll, we'll go in that direction. The start of the season for the Vancouver Canucks or the Edmonton Oilers? Which one's more surprising to you? Uh, I got to say the Oilers. You rarely see a team, you know, predicted to, to be one of the best, to be, you know, a Stanley Cup favorite for many people. You rarely see a team with that, those lofty expectations come out of the gate and literally are, are sitting right near the basement in the entire NHL you know, with the best player and argue, you know, you could argue the best two players in the national hockey league. You just don't see those stories play out very often. Teams underperform teams disappoint, but to this level, it's, it's shocking to me. It's shocking to many. I think it's shocking to the Oilers themselves. Um, I love the Vancouver story. Did I see it coming? No, but essentially I'd say every year there is a team or two that plays, you know, that surprises you in a good way. Last year it was the New Jersey Devils, and this year it looks like it's the Vancouver Canucks uh, playing that role. And quite frankly, I think their management group deserves a lot of credit. You know, they they made that trade for Roenick to, to play with 
Quinn Hughes. Um, they, you know, decided to really um, pay their trust into JT Miller, giving him a long-term deal. They uh, went out and addressed their, their penalty-killing shortcomings with Sam Lafferty and, and guys like that. They, they drafted, developed, you know, Dakota Joshua. They, they, they just made a lot of right, thoughtful moves, and this year seems to be the confluence of all those moves and the help of Thatcher Demko. And here they are. They've got these superstars that are playing incredibly well, and they got a supporting cast that's buying into the identity that their coach wants them to play with, and it's, it's right now been a beautiful story. So I'm, I'm more surprised about the Oilers' demise than I am about the Canucks' great start, um, but I'm also surprised at how well the Canucks have played. On the Oilers' front, we've kind of gone down this road for a couple years every time the Oilers maybe haven't gone as far as, as maybe their hopes had been. But I, from your perspective, David, what do you do if you're Ken Holland? Are you trying to throw anything and everything at the wall in terms of future assets to try to get Connor and Leon back on track and try to get this thing going for this season? Are you looking at, at resetting, I guess it's just, it seems like a, a very tough spot for, for Chris Knobloch to be the big move. I know the Jay Woodcroft, you're always hoping for the, the coaching bump, but I mean, it feels like it's going to be hard to put an entire season, an entire Oilers revamp just on the, the latest coaching change in Edmonton. Yeah. I think that's a really measured and smart, you know, thing you're saying. Um, I think it's a really precarious situation for Ken Holland and the Oilers management. You're not in a position, you know, some people viewed this as Stanley Cup or bust. And, you know, that might be unfair to say, well, you have to win the championship. Because, listen, there's a 10 or 10 teams probably expected to go into the season as Stanley Cup threats, you know. So they're not going to be alone in their disappointment if they don't win a cup. But I certainly would say it's playoffs or bust. And what adds pressure there is, you know, Leon Dreisaitl's contract is coming up in a year. Uh, Connor McDavid's contract is coming up in two years. You know, the body language and the whole group right now, I think they're shell-shocked. They're completely bewildered by what's happened, and it's, it's, it's sad times there. And, you know, there's a lot of pressure for that team to perform. We asked this question last night on Rogers Monday Night Hockey. I asked Cassie, Cassie Campbell-Pascal and Colby Armstrong and, and Anson Carter, what would you guys do if you're the GM of the Oilers? Mm-hmm. Anson Carter said, you know, I would hold – this group together and, and try and get them to find their footing. And I don't know if I agree with that. Like I'm not saying you just go out and make moves to make moves, but I think we're now three goalies in Stuart Skinner, Jack Campbell, and, and last night, Calvin Pickard. And it's not to put this on the goalies. Cause I think they play a very, you know, leaky defensive game, you know, and if you look at the metrics, the high danger chances, the slot shots allowed, et cetera, they're near the bottom of the league. So goaltending's a part of it. Their save percentage is near the bottom of the league as well, but they're also giving up way too many opportunities. Um, but you need to address that. And there's blame to go around up and down the lineup. So I just, to me, I kind of say, what is our number one thing we need to address and how can we address it? And I don't think you just, forego your future with all your prospects and all your draft picks, but I definitely think there has to be a sense of urgency. I don't think you can finish 30th this year or 26th this year or 24th this year and sit there and realistically think there might not be a fallout from that, you know, whether it's Leon Dreisaitl or Connor McDavid or whomever being overly fed up. Uh, I do think there's a certain level of pressure for them to, to keep pushing forward in the right direction. So, 
I, I, I don't have an answer of what to do, but I, yeah. don't, I agree with you wholeheartedly. I don't think it's just, okay, we got our new coach in Chris Nalbaugh, we're good to go. I, I just think you need to sit there and assess what goaltenders are available. Colby Armstrong brought up an interesting point, Logan. He said, you know, maybe they got to go off the grid and, and get, uh, it'd be a flyer, but let's say you try and get Spencer Knight. That's what he said. The, the, you know, Spencer Knight had this great rookie year, and then he went into the league sort of um, rehab program, and uh, you know, he has some OCD issues or whatever the case may be. He's still just 22 years old. He's showing he can compete at a, at a good level um, when things are feeling good for him. Maybe you just need, you, you need to find that spark, whether it's in net, on the blue line, et cetera, supporting cast for McDavid and drive side. You need something. So to me, I'm kicking tires. I'm be- banging down doors, and I'm seeing what the options are, and I, I'm going to make a personnel move because I just see right now you have to shake up something within this group. Yeah, it's crazy to think, but with American Thanksgiving looming, Edmonton sits seven points out of a wild card spot in the West. They've got six teams to get over to get to that wild card spot as of today. And I mean, whether you believe in the the American Thanksgiving deadline or not, David, I mean, the numbers often bear true that if you're not around it in the next week to 10 days or so, you know how hard it is in a three-point league that gives out these extra points. It's not just the points you need to get. It's climbing over these teams. And if you got five or six teams to climb over by February, you're looking at a very, very low percentage chance of getting that done. Yeah, 100%. I mean, there's things that jump out to me when I look at the standings. And I can't believe we were doing the Flames game last night in the intermission. We're putting up the standings simply <laughs> to show yeah. It's a dire situation. Just to show you the dire situation that the um, Edmonton Oilers are in. It's November, and we're putting the standings up. It's in my, you know, X amount of years doing this, I don't recall doing that, but we really wanted to emphasize how deep a hole the Oilers have dug themselves into. The things that jump out to me when I look at the standings, the San Jose Sharks lost their first 11 games this year. Let that marinate. They lost their first 11 games. The Oilers are four points in front of San Jose. Like, that's... That's shocking. Yeah. And as you said, it, it's not the seven points. Seven points, is you can make up seven points, but can you jump over six teams? And you just look at last night. Flames grabbed two points. Seattle grabs a point. Uh, the Kings grabbed two points, right? Like, even when, oh, good, the Oilers lost. Yeah, but they're losing to someone, and often they're losing to someone you're trying to pass because there's just so many teams in the hunt, right? Nashville picked up two points in dramatic fashion over Colorado. Like, it, it's just, it's so many teams. It's such a big hill. And as you said, this is sort of that demarcation when, uh, when you kind of can separate the contenders from the pretenders because the, the math says if you're not in a playoff spot come American Thanksgiving, there's a very slim chance you're going to be in one come playoff time. So uh, it's a massive, massive hill for the Oilers. It's going to be one to watch for sure as we go forward. He's David Amber, studio host for Sportsnet uh, and, of course, Hockey Night in Canada no NHL games on this Tuesday. We're back at it with 12 on Wednesday. One of the big storylines circulating right now uh, in the Eastern Conference, David, has got to be what's happening with the Columbus Blue Jackets sitting at the bottom of the Eastern Conference. Uh, this team thought they were making big changes when they brought in the likes of Johnny Gaudreau and Erica Branson. Adam Fantilli was the next star and then they had this drama with Mike Babcock. Now Patrick Line has been benched and he's talking about it's the most embarrassing moment of his career. Um, I heard uh, our, our colleagues, Jason, um, no, excuse me, Nick Kiprios and Justin Bourne talking about this the other day, and they, they just brought up the point of 
what is this Columbus team? Like, are you a team that signed Johnny Gaudreau to, to go to the playoffs and contend going forward? Or are you a team that's building around Adam Fantilli and the rest of these young guys? I can kind of understand why it would be a frustrating time in Columbus because I don't know about you, but I don't know what that team is or where that team's going right now. Well, that team right now is a tire fire. I mean, my goodness, everything they're doing is wrong. And you can't lump Fantilli, and I heard you list all the problems there with Babcock and Goudreau and Line A. Leave Fantilli out of it. He's having a great season. (laughs) One thing we can say is those top three picks, uh, Bedard, Carlson, and Fantilli, we're in for a real treat. They're going to be – you know, these guys are studs. Fantilli's just 18 years of age. He, he, this isn't on him. This isn't on Kent Johnson. This isn't on Cole Sillinger. They've got a good group of young, up-and-coming stars. They really thought they were bringing in the complement of veterans in Line A and Goodrow to help those young players mature and show them what it's like to, to be a pro and to be excel at this level, and it's, and it's not worked at all. And, I, you know, listen, you're in Calgary. We saw Johnny Gaudreau, you know, heart contention two years ago, 115 points, difference maker, dynamic, plus 64, whatever his numbers were. It was incredible. I don't know what's happened to him. He's a shell of himself. And Patrick Laine, it's funny to hear him say the most embarrassed he was was getting healthy scratch. He should be more embarrassed about how he's playing. I mean, it's been, yeah. it's been horrific, right? Like, this is a guy who's a, four, a legit 40-goal scorer, and he's doing nothing right now. So, um, I don't know. When you say what is the identity of the team, I don't know what the identity is, but I can tell you the sum of the parts. It, it's an unmitigated disaster right now, and I'm sure um, Yarmo Kekalainen, Pascal Vincent, John Davidson, they're all scratching their heads and saying, what's going on here? Because, um, you know, Edmonton Oilers are a real disappointment, but, you know, how much of a shambles the Columbus Blue Jackets appear to be in right now is, is also a story uh, definitely to keep an eye on so far this year. Yeah, they've lost four in a row, one seven and two in their last ten. They've played two more games uh, than the Oilers, who we just talked about their disappointing start to the season, and they've only got one more point than Edmonton. They're at a three sixteen clip uh, winning percentage yeah. to start this year. That's only above Chicago and San Jose, and that's that's not where you want to be when we're talking about those kind of teams. No, collapse for Celebrini, right? Or something. <laughs> we need some sort of catchy phrase. I don't yeah. know what it is. Uh, what are you, Slacklin for Macklin has kind of been, uh, that was an early one. That was an early one in Calgary for the, uh, for the six game losing streak we had a couple of weeks ago here. Yeah. Sorry. What was that? Slacklin for Macklin. <laughs> that was the tagline. Yeah. That's pretty good. Well, he's going to be something special. I think we'll be seeing him at the world juniors uh, next month. And he looks like a real stud. I was talking to Sam Cosentino about Celebrini, um, as well as Cole Iserman, and I think we're going to have two bona fide stars coming into the league next year. It's really exciting how good these players are at 16, 17, 18, and ready to jump uh, right into the NHL. So uh, it, it should be a, it should, Listen, if you're going to be horrible, you might as well be extremely horrible. <laughs> if you're the Edmonton Oilers, you don't have that luxury uh, to be that bad with a team that's had Stanley Cup aspirations. And Columbus, you know, you can't just keep stockpiling top five picks at a certain point your fan base is going to say what's going on here right they've been there since 2000 and they don't they have one playoff series win in 23 years that's not that's not good enough no it certainly isn't it'll be one to uh to watch for sure uh da always appreciate the time great stuff man thanks for hopping on with us today enjoy your uh your rare weeknight off and we'll chat with you again soon pal Logan, I really appreciate the time. Uh, enjoy. And, hey, how about those flames? Trending in the right direction. It's good to see. Thanks, pal. Appreciate it. Talk to you soon, hey? Hey, take care. Take care. David Amber joining us. 
down the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline this afternoon, studio host for Hockey Night in Canada. Rare day off for DA on during the week as a Tuesday night schedule tonight in the NHL. Zero games uh, today, zero games on Thursday, but 14 games on Wednesday. Uh, so looking forward to that one. We had a bunch of finals last night. Uh, DA mentioned to the Panthers over the Oilers, 5-3. Edmonton still struggling defensively, can't keep the puck out of their own net. Calvin Pickard got the start, didn't matter. Same sort of result for them. Lightning beat the Bruins. 5-4 in overtime. You get the Stars doubling of the Rangers, 6-3. Kings, 4-1 winners over the Coyotes. Preds, 4. Avalanche, 3. Your game winner for Nashville coming at 19-38. Trennan, uh, with the second of the season, uh, wins it for Nashville, who scored two goals in the final minute of that game to come back and beat Colorado. And uh, back to the winning ways for the Vancouver Canucks. They dropped two in a row, including that loss. To Calgary, uh, they bounced back at home uh, against the San Jose Sharks, 3-1. Your final score, JT Miller, his 12th of the season, Sam Lafferty, his 4th, and Quinn Hughes, his 8th of the season, was a highlight reel goal, which uh, uh, if you've checked the NHL highlight reels, if you've been on Twitter, uh, you've probably seen it already because it was a thing of beauty uh, as he walked through the Sharks' defense and put it past the goaltender uh, for the first of the game in that one. So again, no games tonight. Flames are back in action on Wednesday when they take on the Nashville Predators. That's game two of this four-game road trip for the Calgary Flames, which kicked off with a big victory in overtime last night against the Seattle Kraken. It's now a four-game point streak uh, for the Calgary Flames, 3-0-1 oh, uh, with a big win against Seattle and now focusing in on the Nashville Predators who the Flames doubled up earlier this month at the Scotiabank Saddle Dome. Dan Vidar got the win last night, so... Perhaps we'll see Jacob Markstrom in net for Calgary on uh, Wednesday. It'll be a 6 o'clock Flames warm-up with Pat Steinberg. Uh, 7 o'clock Derek Wills and Megan Mickelson on the call right here on Sportsnet 960. No NHL hockey tonight, but we do have AHL hockey on your radios. It's the Calgary Wranglers and the Tucson Roadrunners. Myself and Garrett Vanderplug have your Wranglers pregame show at 6 o'clock tonight. Sandra Persina and Matty Rose will call the Wranglers and the Roadrunners at 7 o'clock right here on your home of Wranglers Hockey, uh, Sportsnet 960 The Fan. We'll take a break, come back on the other side, back onto the Calgary Flames conversation. We'll kick off Hour 2, chatting with our pal Julian McKenzie from The Athletic. He's next when Sportsnet Today returns here on Sportsnet 960 The Fan.